0: Welcome to today's audio podcast, a sermon teaching from Grace Bible Church of Akron. If you enjoy the teaching ministry of GBC and would like to enjoy more resources and weekly updates, we hope you will visit our website at gbcakron.org. Please take a moment to let us know how this ministry is impacting your life by emailing us at info at gbcakron.org. That's I-N-F-O at gbcakron.org. Also, if you would like to support Grace Bible Church, you may do so by visiting gbcakron.org forward slash giving. Thank you for listening and enjoy the podcast.
1: Again, super grateful that you guys are here with us this morning. And um, I am excited to unpack uh, this passage this morning in Ephesians chapter five and as Many of you already are aware we've been doing this series, The Living Blueprint, and been walking through uh, the second half of Ephesians, which is a lot of application for your life. And today is no different. This, I hope and I've been praying, will be applicable to you. Um, We'll be spending a lot of time talking about marriage, um, which means for those of you who are married, this is a, a chance for you to apply some of this to your life. But then even those of you who are not married... Statistics say that 98% of you will be married at some point in your life, and so this is an opportunity for you to prepare for that relationship that God sees as so important. And so um, it's no secret that marriage is hard work. In fact, statistics say that a marriage, a divorce is filed in America every 13 seconds. Um, that means that There are nine divorces that are finalized in the time it takes an average couple to say their vows. That's two minutes. There's 554 divorces finalized in the amount of time a typical romantic comedy lasts, about two hours. And there is 1,385 divorces that take place in America during the average wedding reception Five hours. Now, my hope this morning was not, I, I, you know, when I was looking at these stats, I hope you're not seeing me up here throwing around statistics like like sports stats, right? I, I don't mean to flippantly toss around these numbers like they are sports stats, um, and especially don't mean for those of you who have suffered through a divorce to feel ashamed or to visit past pain But the reason I share this with you this morning is because I want to paint a picture of marriage in our society, the the state of marriage in our society that is in stark contrast to the romanticized and fantasized expectations of marriage. You see, I've been a pastor for full-time ministry for 10 years now, and I can tell you that I've performed weddings, and I've been at a dozen more weddings, and Unfortunately, some of the weddings that I've even performed, those marriages have already ended in divorce. And I got to tell you that when I was at the ceremonies looking at the two couples as they're saying their vows, gazing into their eyes, they had the same hopeful expectancy of a happy life lived together. And they they were, you know, their eyes were filled with love and affection for one another. And so if you were to tell them that day that soon their marriage would crumble, would fracture, would fall apart, they would have looked at you like you were crazy. So what happened? Well, these couples faced some challenges in their marriage like all couples do as they experience their marriage. And because they had a faulty foundation, when stuff happened, when challenges arose, their marriage fell apart. Years ago, on television, there was a popular show called "Extreme Home Makeover Edition." I show hands. How many of you have seen that show before? But if you're not familiar with the show, uh, there would be a team of people that would come to a struggling family, maybe a family that went through a financial crisis, and they came and they sought to renovate their home to be a blessing to the family. Maybe it was a family that acquired several new children and it was like, we don't have anywhere to put them, to to, to have them have rooms and things of that nature. So this team would come in and reconstruct and renovate the house and, and meet the family's needs. Well, this morning I believe that God wants to help us. I think that God looks at our society And he sees the state of marriage in our society. He sees us struggling, and he wants to come and renovate our understanding of what marriage is. He wants us to he wants to come and renovate our our practices when it comes to marriage to help us make sure that we can build a secure and solid marriage. And I believe this morning in our passage of Ephesians that inside this passage we have all of the building blocks that's necessary to build a solid marriage. That when storms come in your marriage and troubles come and arise, that the foundation will hold secure and the marriage will stay intact. I believe all of that is in this passage of Ephesians. And so we're going to do something today as we look at this passage. We're going to unpack the necessary building blocks for a solid marriage. And just like with a house, When you build a solid marriage, the first thing that you do is you start with the foundation. You start with the foundation. You lay the foundation. This foundation is what marriage is built upon. And we're going to unpack each of these in this passage of Ephesians, but I just want you to see this. So you start with the foundation of your marriage, and you make sure that is solid. And the next thing you do is you frame the house. You know, you build the walls Right, so here's your, you build the walls of your house, you build the rooms, the roof, the structure. I'm not a builder, so if I'm messing this up, you can talk to me afterwards, okay? But in order to frame the house, you have to have things to fasten the frame together, right? Nails, screws, those sorts of things, other things that builders would know about. You need those to fasten together the marriage, once you've you know, built the foundation, you've Put the frame of the house together. You fasten it together. Then you add your fixtures, you know, your immovable, you know, the structure, the form, the function of your home. Those things include your appliances or your backsplash or your toilets or your bathroom layout and your kitchen layout. You do that. And then finally, after that is done, you then furnish the house. And then you have a solid marriage. I believe all five of these things are mentioned in the passage of Ephesians we're going to look at today. All five. And so what I want us to do, its is going to be a very, a little bit different, is we're actually going to read this passage together. So I'm going to say the first few words, and then you guys can follow along by reading aloud. And don't worry, it will sound different. It will sound unique. It'll be maybe off time a little bit. It's not meant to be perfect. But I want you to read it. So I'm going to put the words on the screen, say, if, say the first few words, and then I would love for you to read along with me. So this is Ephesians 5:21 through 33. It says this. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to yourselves as your own husbands, as do the Lord. For a husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. However, each of you will also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Now, the reason I had us read that all together is because I believe if you take all of those words, and you were to imagine those words were a pile of building blocks for your marriage, and you were just to, to, to lay them out here on the table, that every single part of a solid marriage can be found in these scriptures. Okay, and so I'm gonna dismantle this just for a moment, but they're not in order, which is why I wanted to read them first. So, the first thing, again, that you do when you build a house is you work on the foundation. And the foundation for a stable marriage is this it's faith in the gospel, it's faith in the gospel. Again, looking at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 31 through 32, Paul says this, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. See, marriage is a very unique relationship, and despite all of the confusion and cynicism that swirls around the idea of marriage in our society, I think it's safe to say that most people still hold marriage up with some reverence. They look at it with wonder, right? There's still something inside of us that loves a great love story, where there's this unfailing, undying, unrelenting love between two people. and. I believe that there should be reverence and awe and wonder when you look at a marriage relationship because it is the only relationship where God takes two unique individuals, as this passage says, and he puts them together and he sees them now as one, as inseparable. Right? That's why it says the two will become one flesh. I tell people all the time that want to get married, understand this. When you get married, you have the opportunity in that marriage relationship to experience the closest level of intimacy, and not just talking physical, I'm talking emotional, spiritual, um, the closest level of intimacy possible between two human beings when you get married. Because God designed it that way. And so when people look at marriage they should marvel. They should be in awe of this incredible God-designed relationship and 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 be like just wowed by it. But you see in Paul's mind though the deepest and most marvelous thing about marriage above all other things is that marriage serves as a picture of Christ's undying, unrelenting, unwavering love for the church, his bride. I mean, this it just blows my mind. Paul is quoting Genesis 2. He's looking at the first ever marriage that's recorded in human history. And he's saying, the reason that Adam and Eve got married is because their relationship is supposed to be this future glimpse of Jesus' commitment to the church. So even... Thousands of years before Jesus would die on a cross, he was setting the stage for us to understand what it means to be solely committed to something, like he would be solely committed to the church. So marriage then is this incredible, beautiful picture of Christ's undying, unwavering, unrelenting love for the church. And as you can see, that has to be The foundation of a solid marriage, because that was God's original intent in creating the relationship that is marriage. He was saying, Look, as important as it is for you to love one another, the most important thing about your marriage is that you are a walking, visible picture of my love for the church. You get to be a constant sermon to the world that I am committed to my bride. And so Paul is saying, that's the reason marriage exists. Now for us to understand how this is the key to setting a foundation as a marriage, we have to look at how the world typically sees a marriage. So in our society, marriage is generally run this way or happens this way. You have two people that are interested in one another. Maybe they share similar goals. They have feelings for one another. And they are drawn together because of those things. And that is why couples decide to get married. You know, I, and, you know I've heard these are actual conversations I've had. So what, what do you love about them? They'll say, oh, he makes me laugh. Or what do you love about her? Oh, she is unusually pleasant to look at. And then, um, yeah, you got to be fast to catch that one. And then, then say, you know, what do you love about him? Oh, he's sweet. And then she says, well, you know, I love, him, or I love her because she's driven, right? She's got, she's got goals. She's got ambition. But here's the thing. What happens if that's the basis, if that's the foundation for your marriage? What happens when things change? What happens when interests change? What happens when goals change? What happens when feelings change? You know, those same people I've heard it said, they may say, he used to make me laugh, now I find him repulsive. All this humor drives me crazy. She used to catch my eye, now my eyes are wandering. I used to like her drive, but now I feel like she's driving me away. And so in typical marriages, they go through this. Crisis of a foundation because they built their marriage upon these interests, goals, shared things, shared vision. And then those things change. And suddenly they're going, well, you know, if that's the foundation, well, maybe this isn't meant to be. But see, again, if the gospel is the foundation of a marriage, it's a very different picture. When faith is the foundation of a marriage, you have two individuals who are chasing after God. And yes, of course, when these two individuals a lot of those exact same things. I find them funny, I find them attractive, I enjoy being with them, we have similar goals, we have dreams and aspirations that line up. Those are all true things, but if they are truly committed to Jesus and they're following after Christ, then when they begin to drift apart from an interests or goals standpoint, their pursuit of Jesus is still drawing them together because they're aiming for Christ. That's what a gospel foundation of marriage is. It's the commitment. It's it's saying, listen, my marriage is so much bigger than physical attraction. My marriage is so much bigger than hobbies, than vocations, than vacations, than romance, than finances. All those things are important, don't get me wrong, but my marriage is so much bigger than that and when those things seem to be shaky and when we're trying to figure that stuff out, I still am committed to my marriage because I made a promise before God that I would recognize represent his love for the church. Let me tell you, that kind of thing can get you through some serious turbulence in a marriage. It can get you through some serious trials in a marriage because it's not about... Hey, this is how I feel. We're not compatible anymore. It's about we are committed to this because we're committed to Christ. And Christ is committed to us. I want you to think about that for a second. What if Christ based his commitment to us off of how he felt about us at times? Now, I'm not suggesting that Christ ever lose his love for us, but that, though, in those moments when we're unfaithful to him, in those moments where we ignore him, don't talk to him at all, in those moments where we chase after other gods, idols, things that aren't of him, in those moments where we completely and totally disregard his advice for our lives, he is still committed to us. He has never left our side. He is there for us. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. Because I know that you can, you, can, you can say something like that and you can say, well, then, are you saying that, that marriages should just stay, stay together amidst you know mental or physical abuse and no safety is a priority you have you can't stay like you have to be alive and and more than that you have to be healthy so i'm not i'm not suggesting that you ignore physical abuse or mental abuse i'm not suggesting that you ignore infidelity and adultery so don't misunderstand what i'm saying here the scripture says to obviously preserve our lives. It also says for us to, there are options or or, or clauses in the scripture that say, listen, if someone is unfaithful in a marriage, you do have freedom then to divorce. But that being said, I've seen many, many times where couples will go through those turbulences. And yes, they'll prioritize safety. Yes, they'll work on the fidelity of the marriage. But even when there is unfaithfulness or there is, abuse one or both of the spouses they they humble themselves and they remember their foundation and they're able to work through those things i've seen that happen i there's people in this room that have that story if you sat down and heard their testimony about how they stayed married they would say god got us through some hard hard things and again i'm not suggesting you just ignore those things I'm just saying that the gospel can help you work through those sorts of things and other things. And all you might be in here this morning, and you are on the brink in your relationship with your spouse of a fractured foundation, and you're saying, "I don't know if we're going to survive this." I, I've, it's been my prayer all week that you would you would prayerfully consider fighting for your marriage fighting to keep this foundation intact, fighting to preserve the picture that your marriage is of Christ's love for the church. Maybe you have signed the papers and you haven't submitted them. Maybe you're, you're planning on signing the papers. Just hear me, if you work on your marriage, it will be a hard, hard road to go down, but so was the road that Jesus traveled to the cross. And again, I don't pretend to know all the circumstances and all the different things, but I do know this. I believe with all my heart that the reason that marriage is so important, again, is this this is a picture of Jesus' love for the church. It is also the thing that Satan attacks all the time. Say, mark it down. You get married. Be ready for the enemy to try to drive a wedge between you and your spouse. Why? Because he knows if he can break this foundation, people will lose sight of the picture of the gospel because they'll say, well, you know, it's all that. It's not, it's not really as much commitment as was said. And I say that Insensitivity to those of you who have gone through that, but I think that we all could see that the enemy is attacking, attacking, attacking. He wants to drive a wedge between spouses because if he can do that, he can create confusion around the gospel. So now after you lay the foundation of your house, you then have to go in and you have to put in the frame. Right? And the frame of a marriage is the roles in a marriage, the roles in a marriage. Now, let will be quick to unpack what I mean here. I'm not talking about the traditional roles in a marriage that society builds for us, right? Like a lot of things that we've, maybe some of you grew up with. Husbands are the breadwinners. Women stay at home with the kids. Wives do all the housework, and husbands do all the physical labor, I know this is the 21st century so I know this might not be the case anymore. Wives cook the meals and change the diapers while men watch TV and piddle around in the garage. Now, if that's how your marriage operates, kudos to you. I'm not saying that's that's wrong. I'm just saying that's not what God's talking about here. That's not what he's saying here. If, you know, a lot of marriages they shift around the responsibility and figure out those roles together. But what I am saying is there are roles assigned to marriages in this passage and you look at them it says this wives submit to your husbands as you do the lord here's the key husband is the head of the wife as christ is the head of the church his body of which he is the savior now husbands do not go around your house i am the savior you are not the savior okay you are not jesus is don't say that okay Now, as the church submits to Christ, also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. I believe that the role that Jesus or that that Paul is trying to unpack here is the role that a husband is supposed to be a spiritual leader, and a wife is supposed to uh, encourage and submit to that spiritual leadership in the home. And by the way, it's not because husbands are better. I can tell you right now, my wife's in the room, she is far more fit to be a leader in my household than I am. She's more spiritual, she's more kind, she's more patient. She's a lot of things. I could go on and on of things that she does better than me. But for whatever reason, God has asked me as a man to be a spiritual leader in my home. But unfortunately, I believe that men in general... Even Christian men, we punt on that responsibility. We say, "Hey, I'm spiritual leadership. All right, I'll kick that. I'm gonna kick that to the youth pastor, to the pastor, to some podcast." No, men, you are supposed to stand up in your homes, like Joshua said. As for me and my house, I will. We, our family, will serve the Lord. That's what God calls us to as men. He calls us to be leaders. Key word here: leader, not tyrant. Right Jesus was a leader, but he didn't force people to follow Him. People wanted to follow Him. Husbands, if you hear me today, husbands in trainings, if you hear me today, step up, be a spiritual leader for your household. Right? What does that look like on a practical level? I mean, it means... I think genuinely it means that husbands should be committed to leading their family in times of Bible reading. Read the Bible to your family. Read the Bible to your spouse. Read the Bible with your spouse. Make a plan on the Bible app and do it together. Men, you should pray for and pray with your families. Pray with your wife. If you have kids, pray with your kids. Ask them how you can pray with them. See, at Grace Bible Church, we need men to be examples of godly character, right? We, we shouldn't have to have our wives look and read the Bible to find men of character. They should be able to see it in their homes in front of them. And I realize that's a process. I'm not, I'm not trying to say, set a standard of perfection, but we are called as men to be spiritual leaders, and no one can be that substitute for us. No one can and for all of the men in here that are reading this verse and are thinking, "Cool, we get to be the leader." How awesome, you know? Like I've I've seen this abused and I and I hate it. Let me remind you that when God comes to your house and knocks on the door, when Jesus shows up at the door and knocks on the door, who's the one he's holding accountable for the state of the household? It's going to be the husband. Don't get me wrong, that's not saying that ladies you're off the hook. You're not. But the first person he's going to see is the husband and he's going to say what's the state of this house? It's say responsibility and we cannot, cannot, cannot punt on it. We cannot turn the ball over on that. If we want the title of leader, which maybe some of us don't but because we carry it, spiritual leader on home, we've got to embrace the accountability. But for women at Grace, this means some things too. It means you've got to to pray for your husbands, too. It means that you've got to encourage them and encourage them to take on the role of their spiritual leader responsibility. We need women that will remind their husbands to set a godly example, right? One of those nudges or one of those looks, you know? They work well. It's good. But we need women in the house to nudge their husbands and to to be involved in the life of the church, to set an example to their kids, to be active in the raising of their kids because you're a partnership. Husbands and wives, you're a partnership. Together, you are to lead your family. But wives, you've got to learn to encourage your husbands. And husbands, you've you've got to lead. You can't punt on that. So, see, you have the foundation, you have all the materials to frame your walls, but here's the thing. So, if you want that sort of structure to work in your household, you have to have fasteners that keep those walls, those joists, all those things together. And so, you need the frame, the nails and the screws that hold everything together. And in the case of a marriage relationship, the fasteners are love and respect. They're love and respect. You have to learn to love and respect one another. just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. it he goes on to say, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband. You know, a lot of husbands want to lead, they want to be the leader of the home, but they've got to love in such a way they're worthy of being the leader. Right, and, and Jesus sets the standard pretty high. Love your wives just as Christ loved the church. That means that husbands, it looks like putting her needs first. It looks like being a servant and loving her despite her imperfections. It means loving her even when you don't feel respected. It means laying down your own interests, your own hobbies in, for the interest of your relationship with her. It looks like not being a jerk to her. And treating her as the prize that she is, remembering that she's a daughter of God. You know, I often try to remember that any, like, especially like with Ashley, but any woman that I interact with, that is a daughter of God. And I tell you, if you mistreated one of my daughters, you would have a problem with me. You know what I mean? Yeah, and dads, you can resonate with that. Like, don't, I mean, my little girls are precious to me. Well, God sees women the same way. They are his daughters. And men, we are his sons. Sons. Obviously, he wants us to love and respect one another. And then it looks like husbands, you know, a lot of husbands will say, oh, well, the wife, you know, when we make decisions together, I ultimately have the last say so, right? Because the wife is supposed to submit to the husband according to this verse. Well, if you go back to verse 21, it says that all of God's children should submit to one another, in reverence for Christ. So what that means, husbands, is that you are going to treat your marriage as a relationship and a partnership and you'll make decisions together and at times you will submit to your wife's decisions out of reverence for Christ. So let's not abuse this submission idea that's found here in the scripture, right? Let's understand that there's this mutual love and respect that is being shared And here's the thing, if you do these things, husbands, then you'll likely earn your wife's respect. She won't feel obligated to give it to you. She'll give it to you because you'll be worthy of it if you love them the way that Christ calls you to love them. Wives, to secure the frame of your marriage with strong fasteners, you must respect your husbands. That looks like limiting your resentful words and critical comments about them. And I get it, we're worthy of some critical comments. I know I am. But those types of comments can often squash your husband's desire to lead because then they become passive. They're like, well listen, if, you're, if I'm so bad at this, why don't you just, I'm gonna punt again because it's fourth down for me. So, you know. It looks like wives celebrating their husband's commitment to reading the Bible in the home and with their children. It looks like wives speaking well of their husbands to other people and saying positive things about them around their children. Respect is huge. And by the way, if you respect your husband, then generally speaking, he'll love you better. So it's a two-way street. There's this exchange of love and respect. But here's the thing. Again, you've got to go back because some people will say, well, you know what? I don't respect my husband because he doesn't love me. Remember that the foundation is the gospel. Jesus still loves us when we don't show him respect vice versa we we are you know so 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 again as hard as it may sound there are times where husbands you're going to have to love your wives even if you don't feel respected maybe it's because you're earning back trust for something stupid that you did something wrong that you did, and you're saying, I've got to earn back that trust. Well, you're going to have to wade through the, quote, disrespect and love them anyway because God has called you to love them. And the wives, the same thing. There's going to be times where your husband is thick-skulled and he's not going to love you well. It doesn't mean now I have the right to disrespect and disrespect and disrespect. No, you've got to do your best to respect them in the midst of that, as hard as that may be. Why? Because Jesus did that sort of thing. Jesus was being spit on and mocked on the cross and then he said to the Father, forgive these people because they don't know what they're doing. That's a kind of unconditional love that Jesus is putting on display for us that he has asked us to put into practice in our marriages. Right? Now once you frame the house and you fasten the house with love and respect, then you can Put in the fixtures. The fixtures, again, is all about the function of your home. It's about the form of your home. You know, it's things like, I mentioned, the kitchen layout, the sinks, the showers, the appliances, the closets. The appliances, I already said the appliances. Those things help your home function. Well, Ephesians 5, 26 through 27 gives you a picture of what these fixtures look like. It tells the husbands to make her whole, well, Jesus actually makes holy he's talking about the church here but there's application he says Jesus made her the church holy cleansing her by the water by the washing with water through the word in order to present her as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish holy and blameless we'll get to that in a second and then it goes on to say the verse 28 and 29 in the same way husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies he who loves his wife loves himself after all no one ever hated hated their own body but they fed and cared for their body just as Christ does the church. The fixtures of a stable marriage are all about what I, what I call holistic care, caring about your spouse, holistically caring about your spouse. And again, we kind of already covered spiritual leadership, but, I, but I, I, I wanna paint this picture for you. I believe that, you know how a fixture in your house, it kind of gives you the vibe of your house, right? The paint, the light fixture. It gives you the ambiance of your house so when someone walks in, they'll say, ooh, this room makes me feel whatever. You know, it makes me feel good. Or, oh, wow, I love the kitchen layout. That that would make cooking a meal with six kids running around way less stressful, okay? Or, uh, oh, I love the way the bathroom is set up so I got my own space uh, so my husband doesn't put his nasty toothbrush in my drawer, okay? So, so she, by the way, Ashley never said that to me, but um, the point is is that the form of your house kind of creates an environment, a vibe. Well, husbands... As spiritual leaders, in this passage, Jesus said that he, he made the church holy by washing her with the word. Are you creating an environment with your words, with your attitude, with, with your habits that is conducive for flourishing spiritual growth? Like is, is, when you walk in the door of your home, whether you're at home first or, or you come in the door after your wife is home or whatever the case may be, when you're in there, is the environment such that your wife is set up to flourish and your kids are set up to flourish, right? I think of the passage that wives are, husbands are ought to treat their wives and so they can grow like well-watered vines and husbands are to, to love their kids in such a way they will be like wild olive shoots. They will grow and flourish we set that sort of environment up with the words that we say and the habits we have, the attitudes that we project and that environment is the one where you're basically allowing your wife or your kids to spiritually flourish based on how you act. Wives, the same thing is true for you too. It's a two-way street. We already hit on that a little bit but then there's this idea of nurturing and being being tender-hearted, caring for one another as you would your own flesh. I love this passage, it says, listen, husbands, love your wives because love your wives as you love yourself. Here's the thing, one of the ways I know that I love myself is Thanksgiving. Y'all ever have, y'all obviously familiar with Thanksgiving, but let me tell you, when you make a Thanksgiving plate, first thing you do is you find the biggest one. Like, all right, that's not gonna cut it. I need, oh yes, this one, the one that looks like a you know, a Tonka truck, um, let's get that one, all right, and so you go to the spread, and you're, you're not, you're not thinking about anybody else, okay, you, you might have to, because like the serving side, but you're like, you know what I like to do, i wait till everybody goes through the line, so then I can go back through, and be a little more selfish, I don't know if that's you, um, but, but you, when you're setting up your, your plate, you're thinking about yourself, you know, you put on the turkey you want, you get the, the section of the turkey. If you're the dark dark meat kind of person, the white meat kind of person, or maybe you're not turkey at all, you're ham, you're going to be selective. You're very meticulous in setting up this Thanksgiving plate. When you get to the, you know, the dressing, you're going to get the section of the dressing that looks most appealing to you. When it comes to the mashed potatoes, you're going to get not a small helping, but a larger. I mean, I'm just talking for myself, okay? Just uh, don't judge me. Don't judge me. When you get to the, the gravy, you're going to drip it on there where you want to drip it on there, right? And someone else tells you to, go get their plate, what do you do? You just go through line. Psh, 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 psh. You don't meticulously prepare a plate for the random person, unless it's, you know, your wife and she tells you exactly what she wants. Um, the point is that God is saying, listen, the way that you love yourself, you should love your spouse. And let me tell you, Thanksgiving is a good reminder of how you should love your spouse, meticulously Tactfully, carefully, you know, considerately, because she is yours. Well, I love what he says. No one ever hated their own flesh, but he, they care for their body just as Christ does the church. It's true. We ought to treat our spouses the way we want to be treated. We ought to do that. The last thing, and and I we wrapping up here. The last thing you do in the house is after you've put in all those things, the fixtures are in, then you furnish the house. You furnish it. And furnish, the furnishing of the house is actually not overtly mentioned in Ephesians chapter five, but I think it's implicitly, it's like under the radar mentioned. Furnishing the house is finding out what pleases your spouse. Finding out what pleases your spouse. Again, even in the word, lo- husbands love your wives, what I've learned about love is that the way I feel loved is different than the way my wife feels loved. So I have to learn her love language. Carrie talks about this in his blog sometime. If you haven't read his blog on love languages, you should go check it out. Or you could read Gary Chapman's book, The Five Love Languages. But the way I see it is husbands, wives, you are meant to be a student and study your spouse and figure out the things that please them and that is a way that you can practically love them in a practical way, right? So like some examples, quick examples would be husbands, we got to consider furnishing our homes, maybe with some planned date nights and some flowers where we are just showing our affection and our love, even if that's not how we feel loved or, affection, or, or experience affection, that we might need to do that. women consider furnishing your house with some one on one time where you're not, you 're not know, bombarded with the kids or whatever the case may be, and, or, or you know, you bring you know when they walk in the door instead of the first thing is, "Hey, could you do this? You just have a plate of nachos for i don 't know i mean that's, those are just i 'm like trying to i 'm not training anybody in here The point, the point is don 't miss the point. you can make your house cozy, your marriage cozy by figuring out what pleases your spouse. But it's also true that you gotta figure out what furniture needs to go in your house, right? You know that, that ugly piece of furniture that you just have left in there. You're like, oh it's no, sentimental value, you know? Like it was given to me by my you know, best friend's fishing buddy. You know, I, I, gotta keep, I gotta keep this in here. You gotta figure out what needs to go. And you know, I read this statistic, this is just one example, and, and um, is you gotta consider things like pornography. In the house, right? I read this. Pornography is cited as a factor in 56% of divorce, according to a recent study. And so the way I see it is if you're allowing that in your house, men, maybe even women, I don't know. But if you're allowing that in your house, it's like you're putting a bear trap as your furniture in your house. Someone is bound to step on that thing and get hurt. There are other furnishings that might need to go, maybe the amount of drinking that you're doing is making your spouse uncomfortable. You should consider moving that out of the house. Maybe there's forms of entertainment that you are, part- you know, you're watching whatever, and it bugs your spouse. Maybe you should consider that, men. Maybe it's video games. Your wife is like, "Stop playing Madden, okay?" Maybe you should not. Maybe you don't have to get rid of Madden. Maybe you should just, just you know, signifi- or just get rid of it. The wives are like, "Yes, get rid of it." Um, the point is, is you've got to you've got to figure out what furniture needs to go. And I close with this, and we're gonna we're gonna have this awesome opportunity for a response here in a second. Is I, you know the heart behind this, and I, I believe this with all my heart, is I think that you, when you watch a show like HGTV or or Extreme Home Makeover Edition. On the show, we're so accustomed to watching, no one watches like HGTV, no one wants to tune in for the laying of the cinder block in the basement. No one's like, oh, let's watch 45 minutes of them putting cinder block in the basement. No one is like all that concerned with how they frame the house, right? And certainly no one cares how many screws are in the wall uh, holding things together. The thing that they watch HGTV for is they want to see what fixtures are going in, what paint, what lights, what cabinets, the backsplash. They want to see how that can be transformed and then they're like, oh, then you know that lady Joanna Gaines, she comes in and she furnishes the, you know, she furnishes the whole thing and it's beautiful. They want to know what the furniture is. But here's the thing, as is, is fun as is that, because that's entertaining, right? It's not fun watching a fastener go on. It's not fun watching cinder block built in the basement. It's fun to see these things being built, but here's the problem is a lot of times with our marriages, we, we basically live and die off the furniture and the fixtures in our house and then we start trying to like build on top of that and it just doesn't work. It doesn't work. We've got to remember that order, starting with the foundation, the gospel for our marriage and then building the f- frame, the fasteners and then those things at the end. Too many marriages have fallen apart because they're so focused on the furniture. They just fight about the furniture. They fight about, oh, well, we need this in our marriage to make it better. No, what maybe you need is a commitment together to get on your knees to pray and say, God, help us be the representation of your love for the church in this world. That might be what it is. And so what we're gonna do now is Jason and his team is gonna come and he's going to play an incredible song. But I hope that this song will be two things. One, I'd love for you to listen to the words; it's super powerful, super encouraging. But I also hope that you'll respond. Maybe it's maybe it's you know holding hands with your spouse next to you, just praying with them, spending a moment prayer and prayer and reflection over your marriage and making sure that your marriage is being built in a solid way. Maybe it's just spending time allowing God to restore you. But I hope you enjoy this um, song.
0: Growing old together, we've made it easy just to quit. Love has become a negative personage. Why do we bother to come in? We've got a long list of excuses, ways we try to justify. I propose to you, the truth is, marriage doesn't have to die. Will always lose out to light because we've got.